Yes, but I, I think it's important to note um, that the quest must be for the truth. Um, in any field in Jewish, in, in the Jewish, in the Jewish halacha and who are in Jewish history, it's the truth which is the which is the, the most important. Welcome to Beyond the Book podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Wogelinter. Each week, I invite you to take a journey with me to take a look at what happens beyond a range of books and what inspires some of today's great Jewish authors. If you're an author, or if you know an awesome author who would like to come on the show, please reach out to me at info at intentionaljew.com. Speaking about Intentional Jew, this podcast is sponsored by Intentional Jew Podcast Network, intentionaljew.com. And we have a, an amazing guest today. His name is Rabbi Alex Hool. He's the author of three really unbelievable uh, scholarly works, and they're called The uh, Challenge of Jewish History, The Bible, The Greeks, and The Missing 168 Years. The second book is Searching for Sinai, The Location of Revelation. And the third is Paro, Biblical History, Egypt, and the Missing Millennium, about the biblical, uh, obviously about the biblical Paro. So, um, he's, he's written these three books and he's agreed to come on and talk to us a bit about his journey to the books and how he's, um, how's, how he's gotten there, a bit about him and, uh, where the books have brought him, you know, where, what, what kind of things and relationships and things and people and, uh, interesting things that have come out from, from this. So, so Rabbi Hul, uh, first of all, welcome, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's a great pleasure to be here. You know, give me and the listeners a little bit of a, a background of, of you, who you are, where you grew up. But more importantly, like, why why were those things important in the in the writing of these books, and and how did it bring you to to here? Obviously, um, I was brought up in London, um, in a town called Kingsbury, one of the suburbs of London. My father was a rov there, the Kahila. Um, he's now in pension. He lives now in Golders Green. Um, we grew up in Kingsbury, a community, a very thriving community, a Jewish community. A lot of the members of the community have since moved over to other places like Edgeware, Golders Green, or a lot of them have actually moved to Eretz Yisrael, London Aliyah. Um, that's the way we grew up. I, I was sent to the, to the Menorah Grammar School and Hasmonean School, uh, where I did O-levels and A-levels, and then I went on to Gated Yeshiva for a number of years, five years in Gated Yeshiva. And then I went on to Ponovich um, Yeshiva and Kolo. And I've been there basically since. So I've been about um, 25 years uh, in in Ponovich. I got married there. I found uh, my wife uh, lives just down the road, uh, lived in Maimon, Maimon Street, uh, which is just down the road from Ponovich. Uh, so uh, I moved into... Uh, uh, a house very nearby to where my parents now live, and uh, we've been living there uh, ever since we were married. Um, so, uh, generally, I've been uh, in the yeshiva, and I continued um, in the yeshiva even after I got married, and then joined the kolo uh, as part day in the kolo. And I remained in the morning. I stayed upstairs, which like main yeshiva was in the upstairs building. And I stayed upstairs in the morning to do uh, my own research on uh, different topics, uh, Talmudical issues, which I felt that I needed my own time and pace to be able to uh, uh, 
to understand uh, what these, uh, you know, to get to the bottom of, of these issues. And that's what I've really been doing. I've gone through one issue after another in the morning. Uh, I went through Zmanim, I think the Dateline, Shiurim, Gvulas Eretz Yisrael. Um, these are the things that I've chosen, and they're really topics that really one can spend years and years and years on each one of those topics. And I spent time doing them until I got a, a certain kind of clarity, and I wrote them down and published some contracium uh, or books on them, and I move on to the next next subject. That's and in the afternoon I went down to the kolol learn with the kolol mesechters. In my spare time, um, I've uh, uh, involved myself in the works of these uh, more English for the English speaking crowd, the English speaking community. Um, and things which I felt, issues which I felt we are very uh, serious, uh, which need to be challenged, which need to be addressed properly with the full research, with the full knowledge of Jewish history and Jewish tradition, and equally with the authentic sources of uh, academic literature. And I found that, unfortunately, um, there are very few people who are actually able to, or prepared, to be able to bring those two worlds together and to try and reconcile major issues which have been um, heard about over hundreds of years. Once I was introduced to the major problem of the Second Temple period, I read a synopsis of the problem where the authentic evidence which is brought down, I was quite amazed that the academic view is so heavily supported on the one hand. And on the other hand, how could this be? We, we know our tradition is so, uh, so strong. It's so powerful. It's so widely accepted in the whole of the Jewish community. It is part of the infrastructure of the Jewish heritage. It's so well-based from independent sources is it possible that a, some kind of um, tremendous amnesia uh, set into a whole nation? This this paradox, this uh, this problem of the of the two um, views of the Second Temple period, which is actually um, basically a problem of the whole of world history before the Common Era, um, really um, tickled my interest. And I felt that now is the time with uh, modern technology and the, the work and analysis of so many scholars who are now able to bring to us at the click of a button evidence which we ourselves can analyze and get to the bottom of the, of the problem. And this I did. I spent a long time, a very long time, trying to... Um, work out the source of the discrepancy. I actually uh, mainly focus on the Elephantine Papyri, which was a section and as um, the double dated documents, which really produced astronomical evidence when the latter Persian period took place. And in this way, this would be, be able to help us uh, to explain and understand the whole of 
the temple, second temple period, and the whole of old history um, going back in time. And there was a problem with the matching. It was a well-known problem, um, which the archaeologists, the analysts have had. And I realized that this was an indication that the secular view of world history is actually wrong. Um, although that there is a tremendous amount of uh, strong evidence in the relative chronology of secular history, but in the absolute terms, the absolute chronology, there was a, an error. And I set about to try and, first of all, understand the source of the problem and then look for evidence. And that I discovered uh, plentiful. And I put it together into a book and wanted to present it to the world and secondly, to present to the academic world um, the view of the Jewish heritage and the tremendous support from the authentic secular sources that there are, to bring them into the arena to be able to analyze and discover the truth themselves. Uh, and I'm, this is an assumption, but I'm assuming there's not many people in Panovich and in the greater Brene Brown community who are are necessarily doing this so we're like they're um reconciling the secular worldview of history with with the terror so how did how did learning in panovich and being really there for a long time how did that um help or maybe challenge you well i think that being in panovich uh gave me a tremendous grounding for the authority and the impeccable uh, precision and accuracy of the Jewish heritage and the quest for the truth in throughout uh, the Talmud, every single aspect of halakha is questioned and rigorously analyzed in quest for the ultimate truth. Um, so therefore, um, I think the grounding of 30 years of uh, constant study uh, the Gemara, the Talmud, uh, Rashi, and Tosas, the Kushas, Abayas, Varova, uh, gave me good uh, a standing in able in giving me the ability to perhaps uh, have the enthusiasm to try and analyze the secular sources in the same way. Of course, um, in Ponovitz, we don't learn um, about secular history. We don't learn about the secular sources. We're learning Gemara. We're learning the Rishon. But I was um, brought up in London and I had connection with um, the academic community when I was there. I did go to school, I did O levels and A levels. So I had some kind of uh, background of um, academic uh, works and academic uh, understanding and achievements. And therefore, I was intrigued when I saw a synopsis of the problem um, based on the academic view of world history and the Second Temple period. And I felt that what I was looking at was not just an historical documentation by unknown authors, uh, authors which may have manipulated events and stories about history, but 
solid archaeological analytical evidence which has now come to the surface through the tremendous work of archaeologists and researchers over the last hundred years. And this ignited me to the thought that here may lie the solution, because surely if we have authentic evidence, evidence which is independent of human manipulation, we would surely be able to get to the bottom of the discrepancy, because there must be a solution to the problem. And if we had evidence, which we, surely we would be able to discover the truth. And this is what I set out to do, to study the authentic evidence. I wasn't so interested in what the historians, the Greek historians write about history. I was more interested in the astronomical dating, in the cuneiform evidence, which were written by private individuals, all the different various evidences, independent evidences, which all seem to come together and point in one direction. And although with uh, the sources from Chazal, uh, that basically directed me to uh, the solution to the problem. Right, that's that's uh, that's such a wonderful answer. That you know, being rooted in the in this quest for truth is what um, is what makes you fight that battle, and that's amazing. The, that's basically the start of the challenge of Jewish history, and then it grew into your the next two books, the next in the series, I guess, or or just the next two books, this the search for Sinai and Paro. So, at this point, I and we spoke about this before, but I wanna I wanna ask at this point. So then, where does um, James or Jim D. Long come in in the in the story here, and I think it also speaks to what we were speaking about before, where the the intersect and the interplay between, you know, the secular or a more secular worldview of history, um, and where it comes and is trying to be reconciled by the Torah. So. Right. Yeah. So James James Long, um, he actually uh, got hold of the book, The Challenge of Jewish History, and he found that very interesting because he was very much pro. Um, those who support the view of Seder Olam and the vindication of um, Talmudic sources and the Jewish heritage. And he was intrigued by the book. And he actually wrote himself a book about um, the Exodus, which he wanted to give to me. And when he was here on expedition, archaeological expedition in Eretz Yisrael, um, he came over and uh, we had a chat and he gave over um, this book. Um, he was actually, he's a Gentile, and he's been involved in the uh, community of Noahides. I think he has a leading position here in Eretz Yisrael for the Noahide community. And, and so he, he wanted to interview me about um, the Purim section on the book in the Challenge of Jewish History. And he gave me his book about uh, the Riddle of the Exodus, which I read with uh, excitement. And at the end, I saw the appendix about the identification of Mount Sinai. Now, just at the time, I was actually involved in my learning in the Kolo about the Gabulus of Eretz Yisrael, the exact locations of the borderlines of Eretz Yisrael. And there was some common factor between the two because um, Kodesh Barnea is mentioned with respect to the borders of Eretz Yisrael 
and is also mentioned with respect to Harsina. And therefore, I thought that if one would know where Harsina is, one would have a better idea where Kodesh Baner is. And so that sort of drew me into the interest of finding about uh, Harsina. And I, I discovered that there is actually no Jewish tradition from the rabbinic sages where Harsina actually is. Therefore, everything is open to, uh, for option. And then I followed the various locations, identifications which have been brought down, and I discovered there is tremendous uh, ignorance of Jewish literature, the Bible literature even, definitely Jewish tradition. Medrashim is so much on Haggadah and so much geographical detail from the words of our heritage which can lead and give clues to the location of Harsinai and which had not been explored before. Now we have detailed mapping, we have satellite imagery, and then I found that the words of the sages through the eyes, through the, the, um, the glasses of um, imagery of satellite and the detailed mapping that which we have, we can actually find the exact path of B'nai Yisrael from the outset on, from Egypt all the way through to Harsina. And I made a book out of it to be able to show the world um, that the truth of the Torah, although it's 3,000 years ago, right, but all that was written in the Torah is true. All that was written in the sages, all the detail, the agadic detail, it's all true, and it can all be seen now in the mapping and the satellite imagery which we have today. And there's tremendous synchronization, even to the very detail of the dimensions of Harsina. They are still areas today. Right where the Midrashim, there's obviously you mentioned this, but the, the Midrashim are vast on on uh, on Harsinai. Was that helpful or more challenging in finding it? Uh, well, one has to you know, look for there are many Midrashim which not necessarily give geographical detail, so one needs to concentrate if one's looking for the location of Harsinai, one needs to locate um, the information, one needs to glean information from the Midrashim which have regard to the geographical location. And that needs a bit of digging. That needs, need that one needs to really think about it. Sometimes uh, a statement by Kazal might seem quite innocent, but when one uh, ponders over it, one realizes that it can uh, be used as a tremendous clue with other information from satellite imagery or detailed mapping that can direct us um, to the mountain. So yes, it needed a lot of research and, and a lot of uh, thought uh, involved to be able to try and get the information uh, which is needed to be able to track down uh, the footsteps of Kali Yisrael um, all the way from uh, Egypt through to the uh, Kriyas Yamsuf and then their onward journey until they got to Harsina. Were, were there any halachic ramifications or anything that was... Um, more relevant today rather than just the history, or this was a, a historical look on where, where Hasinai was? 
um, there is actually a certain offshoot from the, the location of the Hasina because a lot of the information which we have is measurements, exact measurements that actually we find in Chazal, even in the Torah, um, exact measurements of distances and uh, heights and of, 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 of the, of the, of, of the uh, various destinations and actual dimensions of Har Sinai. Now, this is a big issue in Halokha, um, the size, for example, of the Amma or the size of the Tefah. There's a very, very big uh, discussion, even till today, what the size of the Amma is. And if we have details of measurements of Chazal, which we can synchronize with geographical information and dimensions, and that will surely support um, the uh, one view or, or another of the, um, the exact measurements which Chazal are referring to. That's one offshoot. Another offshoot is with regard to the borders of Eretz Yisrael, um, knowing the, the basically the route of Klal Yisrael, knowing where Kodesh Barnea is, um, it's in quite important to be able to know the Kodesh Barnea, which uh, um, constitutes one of the borders of Eretz Yisrael. So again, it's very, very much Nadia, especially for the coming year, which is a Shemitah year, and the, the stipulations about fruit and produce which is grown in Shemitah, and it's important to know what is not considered as Eretz Yisrael, and there the produce it has no stipulation. So that is actually in the south of Eretz Yisrael. It is a big issue in Halacha, and there's a big debate about it, but I think um, the knowledge of the location of Har Sinai has tremendous ramifications referring to, uh, with regard to that question. And then, and then from that book, how did you get into uh, Paro? Is that just the next natural step once you're in Har Sinai, so then you go back to to Mitzrayim? Right. Well, I thought I thought that was um, really that was the end of my research in, in uh, academic studies, but. Um, um, Haskocha had it that I was um, in uh, Bournemouth, I was walking down the promenade in, 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 in Bournemouth of, of, on the sea of Bournemouth in the south of England, and I, I met a, a young couple, um, Rabbi and Mrs. David Tugendhat, and, and who, who wanted to discuss about a topic of the Exodus. They had read the book about the challenge of Jewish history and uh, the, the period of the Second Temple. And Reverend Tugendhat was actually involved in uh, the history world. And she had written a, a brief synopsis of the problem of the identification of Pharaoh, of the Pharaoh of the Exodus. And she encouraged me to uh, look into the matter and to try and be able to present um, a, a, a view from the point of Chazal, which would be able to synchronize and harmonize all the archaeological evidence that there is and the historical information to um, be able to present to the first and foremost the, the Jewish world and then to the, the secular world that uh, the truth of really what happened, um, the, the story of the Exodus, the, the truth of the Torah. And the, and the truth of our tradition. So I found that it was sort of uh, quite a high, a high order task to do because I didn't have little 
a little knowledge of Egyptian history, which really uh, one needs to know, be able to, to try and analyze. But I was uh, introduced to a book by um, the renowned communicator. Um, I have this book here. David Roll. Um, David Roll. I actually met him also here in Eretz Yisrael. Um, he also wrote a book about the Exodus to try and demonstrate the truth of the Bible. And he uh, told me about his book, which I, I ordered. And reading through the book, I saw that again, he presented tremendous amount of archaeological evidence, which could act as a stepping stone for further research to the wider um, sources represented by scholars of today of the exact detailed analysis of Egyptian history. So I went into this topic, studied it, and I discovered not only that um, indeed that authentic sources can be reconciled, not only reconciled, but corroborated um, with the Jewish sources, I found actually a continuation of the conclusions of the book of Challenge of Jewish History, basically the conclusions of the Challenge of Jewish History is that um, the secular world has got it right about the chronology of the Persian era, but the positioning of the Persian era is in error. Instead of the Persian era, the latter Persian era being before Alexander the Great, it was actually after Alexander the Great, alongside Alexander the Great. Now, this conclusion of the challenge of Jewish history has tremendous repercussions in the history before. It's the knock-on effect. If you're bringing down the Persian history, which we are trying to do, and this was indicated from the evidence which we brought, astronomical, astronomical evidence, the cuneiform evidence, all the various other evidences there are, but the, the, the final conclusion is that um, the Persian era has to be brought down 168 years or so. Bringing down the Persian era is automatically bringing down the era before the Persian, the Babylonian era, and then the Assyrian era, and then the Egyptian era. So the whole of world history basically is, is pulled down on 168 years. Now, I discovered that identifying the pharaoh actually involves also bringing down the whole of Egyptian history by roughly 168 years or so, and which perfectly uh, tunes in with the conclusions of the challenge of Jewish history. So what I discovered was that the tremendous archaeological evidence and the astronomical, further astronomical evidence, which helped us to uh, discover the exact Egyptian chronology. I must say that I found that the secular view of Egyptian chronology was spot on, the relative chronology from the time of the Exodus all the way through to the end of the dynastic era of Egypt, which is almost a thousand years, is basically spot on. It can hardly be changed by one year. But what has happened is that the whole of that era needs to be pulled down 168 years. And in that way, um, tremendous problems in the secular 
academic community have suddenly become dissolved. Carbon dating, for example, there's so many problems with carbon dating, but now once well, the, the whole of Egyptian uh, dynastic era is brought down 150 years or so, that all of a sudden brings in to reconciliation carbon dating. There are a number of other major problems in the whole of world history, terms which have been referred to as dark ages in civilizations across the world because of a gap of roughly 150, 200 years between um, the origins of Greece, which had connections with the Egyptian era, and Greek history, which we know as today. Bringing down Egyptian history is actually bringing down the origins of Greece to fall perfectly in line with Greek history and brings together the whole of the historical analysis of all the civilizations across the globe and basically uh, disintegrates all these dark ages. So we have now um, evidence from the challenge of Jewish history and it's astronomical and it's cuneiform, it's, um, it's very, very much detailed and it's now doubled over with the independent evidence which we have from the ton of archaeological information and astronomical information and the detailed analysis of the Sukim in order to be able to reconcile the whole of world history. Again, this is, um, I know, I realize it's a tremendous um, leap in uh, academic um, judgment. It's a, it's a tremendous uh, maybe slap in the face to academic scholars to claim that what their hundreds of uh, and maybe thousands of scholars, their efforts and works and analysis is seems to be all 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 down to naught. Um, and therefore, they would be reluctant to be able to even um, look to acknowledge or to uh, contemplate an idea of such a vast a jump in uh, history, pulling down the whole of world history. But the truth of the matter is that really all the authentic evidence is perfectly in line with all the analysis of the tremendous scholars which we have today and which we have over the last hundred years. It's only the absolute chronology, once again, which is um, in question here, and it's the absolute chronology which has very weak links, and that is what is being challenged here, and that is what we would like to present to the academic arena for them to analyze and to acknowledge and discover the truth. And you find that you're accomplishing that goal as you write and, and with your books and as they go out, that you're able to bring this to the secular, um, the secular world, the secular arena, this uh, idea of the truth of the of the chronology and, and really everything you're writing of, of, of the Torah. Yeah, well, to make um, big changes in world history um, is means to rewrite the whole of history books all over the world. So in order to be able to do that, one needs uh, an awful lot of support. Uh, so it's obviously going to be slow. But then again, when one has solid, robust, unchallengeable evidence, 
it's going to push its way through, especially in this day and age where with the click of a button you can get over information. You can't suppress it anymore. You can get it out to the wider community. And I think this is what has slowly been happening. The first book came out five years ago. There hasn't been any really substantial challenges to it. Uh, and therefore the evidence remains strong. And uh, the only real um, way of challenging it is to ignore it. But that cannot work. It's like falling the side of the secular view of history. And it must eventually be addressed. People who are reading the book, there are hundreds of people, maybe thousands, who have already read the book and are fully um, happy with the conclusions for the evidence. And they believe that this must be addressed by the academic community. And I believe it eventually will have to be um, taken to the courts of academic law. And so what was the what was the surprising demographic that, that was able to read the book and able to gain something from the book? If it hasn't really been brought, um, the main goal of being brought to the secular arena, so that is a work in progress, but within the Jewish world and, and uh, has that, it, what kind of um, reception has it had? It's, it's, it's received a very good reception because although it's not so well known the exact details of the problem, but it is more widely known that there is a central problem, a central discrepancy between Jewish history and Jewish uh, and, 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 and together with Jewish tradition, rabbinic tradition, uh, um, um, uh, with regards to the secular view of world history, for example. Um, the, the, the length of the second base Samikdash. According to Chazal, according to the indication of the verses in the Bible, the second base Samikdash stood for 220 years. According to the secular view uh, of history, it stood for 589 years, roughly 168 years difference. So we have um, knowledge of that in the wider community of the Haredi community, but because uh, very few people are knowledge, knowledgeable of the actual evidence in support of the secular um, view of history. So the question has always been brought up, but um, sort of basically been pushed under the carpet. You know, we don't, anyone anyone has been approached in the in the Jewish world in the in the rabbinic uh, uh, community. Um, if he's been addressed with the problem, he would probably say that you know we are. Our heritage is very, very sound. It's very solid. Um, we we don't know about the, the secular history, but it's also based on historical works which have um, not, not unknown um, acceptance of the authority of the authors behind them, and therefore we have no problem accepting the, the Jewish view of history. Now, those people who are more involved of, have been have been puzzled and have been uh, uh, been un felt uncomfortable in the solid evidence which there is, an authentic evidence which there is, which has been blended into the secular view of history. And so there are a lot of people who have been very happy to see analysis of the secular side of of of, of the coin and the secular evidence and to see a refutation to that, and further to see evidence in support of Jewish history. 
Now, this was, uh, this was a new idea which has come to the scene in the Jewish community, and it's been very well received because people now are not embarrassed to address the problem because now they have kalim, they have uh, answers, they have ammunition to refute the questions which should be addressed to them. And people are, 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 are pulling forward um, the evidences and to, 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 to others. And as, again, not only they're feeling happy and that they're being uh, felt that they're being um, in the fact that now in the Emunah, in the Divrei Chazal, they see how everything fits into place, but they now spreading it onto other people who have less Emunah in the Divrei Chazal, and but they're showing that this can be shown and demonstrated by secular, authentic evidence. So it's slowly pushing its way forward, I believe, uh, in the right direction. Right, I find today uh, more than the authenticity of the, the, of the Torah itself is Divrei Chazal are under fire. And this speaks to, from so many different directions, both in philosophy, but now also what you're, what you're writing on is history, that we're just um, we're fighting the fight for for Chazal and the authenticity and the the their correct understanding of of history and chronology and that's uh, that speaks worlds to me. Yes, but I, I think it's important to note um, that the quest must be for the truth. Um, in any field in Jewish in in the Jewish in the Jewish halacha and who are in Jewish history, it's the truth which is the which is the, the most important. If there would be a mistake in the, um, the history of our heritage, uh, the, the, the rabbinic sages would have no problem in accepting it. Um, the fact is that we now have evidence to demonstrate that the, the accuracy of our heritage and that the truth lies precisely with our sages. And that is what we're trying to present to the now the validity and um, or, or the, or, or the impeccable accuracy of the Divrei Chazal also with regard to its history. What an important message. Okay, so uh, I, I will call it here unless you have uh, some a message to my listeners and to anybody listening, um, an important message about Jewish history, then uh, I think we'll, we'll call it here. Uh, my message to to your listeners is, if you can, get the word out. There is rock-solid evidence here. It's cuneiform, it's astronomical evidence. You can't argue with mathematics. And it all demonstrates the validity, the authenticity of our Torah, of our tradition, of our sages. So please, tell the world about it. The more people you tell about it, the better it is. And the more chizik everyone will get, and the truth will eventually be accepted uh, by the entire world community. Shkaya, uh, uh, that it just uh, I'm, this is why I'm so lucky to be able to do this because, you know, I learned a lot of um, I'm more from a philosophical standpoint, but I love the the Maral speaks in in um, Baragola where he's in essence fighting Divrei Chazan, he's and he's making them stand out and validating them that they're that they were right, and he's proving them through through Gemaras and things. And um, I find that in, in the world that I live in, with more secular or even 
people have less amuna in in you know Devei Chazal. So then these things are so relevant from a philosophical standpoint that you're always fighting. You know Chazal were right or Dirabanans or rabbinic um, laws are right, and, and those are just under fire so much. And and this is um, a breath of fresh air that you can attack it from other you know other areas also prove the validity. And once once Chazal were right, so then and you believe they were right, so now. Also, maybe in history they're right, and if you start from history, maybe in philosophy they were right as well. So, like each one will be mashpia on the other. Yeah, absolutely, yes, it has a knock-on effect. And the more you see the truth in the words of Chazal and the words of our sages, the more you have emunah, and the more you realize, and the more truth there is in the world. I mean, this quest of truth in any field is always what is required. Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Um, signed the Torah with his, with with the letters MS because this is the symbol of the Almighty, a truth. So the quest of truth in any field is what um, the Jewish religion represents. Unbelievable! Thank you, thank you very much. This is uh, a personal. Uh, no, it's it's MS, MS. We got to work on MS, and you got to believe that it's MS. That's the uh, that's the goal. So. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed. This project is a creative project of mine, and I want to know that it resonates with people. The best way to speak to me and to let me know is by subscribing to this channel on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, listening, finding me on YouTube, Beyond the Book YouTube channel, and leave a comment that you enjoyed it. The more feedback I get, the more I'll do. And if you enjoyed it, even just a simple liked it works for me. We'll see you next week on Beyond the Book.